I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, drivers recommended. <laughs> is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Dado is my name. It's nice to have your company. Uh, look, Grant Dodd is back on the podcast today. So Doddy's a uh, former professional golfer. He's won in Europe. He's the voice of Australian golf. You'll hear him on the tournaments. Uh, and he's always terrific. He did bait me a long time ago saying, oh, I've got a few fantastic stories about people who play outside the rules. So I thought that'd be great to talk about. But we did wait this morning, and it is Monday morning, the 1st of November, to find that Lucas Herbert had won uh, in America, which is terrific. So we had a little bit of a chat about that, and also the state of Australian golf. Where are we in these rivers of gold as they're flowing through the golf courses and through the golf clubs? Uh, are we going to be able to manage those and, and make the very most of them? And then we got to the cheating. So uh, I love talking to Dottie. He's a terrific guy. Uh, and I know that you've enjoyed the podcast with him in the past. So I hope you're going to enjoy the podcast with him now. This is Grant Dodd. Dottie, first of all, thanks for your time. Uh, we're recording on a Monday morning and wake up to the news that Lucas Herbert's had his breakthrough win in America, which is phenomenal, isn't it? It really is, actually. Um, and I was, I was just reflecting about this in the car this morning coming um, into work and just thinking about the fact that, you know, when he turned pro four or five years ago, he was like 20, 21 years of age, he wasn't the, the guy most likely in that class that came through. There was a really strong class of, you know, Australian amateurs that came out at that time. And, and he looked like a, you know, he's fairly raw boned, kind of fairly agricultural sort of swing, Lucas. He's got his own style. It wasn't a, it's not a, it's not a, a sort of a golf swing that, you know, people generally or coaches generally put up on a screen and go, oh, look at these beautiful angles. Look at this lovely move. I mean, it's a big, loose flowing swing he takes a cut out and he plays with a lot of abandon and uh um you know he but, but you know he, what's been really interesting is is just how determined he has been and yeah. just how focused he's been upon his upon his goals and and like for the last few years like he's been traveling with like a trainer um you know someone who, who gives him therapy he's got a team around him all the time he's he, and, and to do that in professional golf with a caddy as well that he's a full-time caddy that he's traveling with and he's got a you know i wouldn't say entourage but a small group of people following around like trying to ensure that he gets the best out of himself you're looking at probably i, don't know, I would say three to four hundred thousand dollars a year um in costs you know including your own costs built into that you know with with, with rent and wherever you're staying and it's a massive outlay and it, it really does take a, a big set of kahunas at the age of you know, 22, yeah. 23 to say, I'm prepared to do this. This is what I'm doing. This is what I need to do. And to just absolutely stick to that religiously the whole way. And 
you know, got himself onto the US tour and wins in, in one of his first starts. And now he's in the world's top 50. Now he's playing in the Masters. Now he's going to play in majors. And, and that's self-belief. Yeah. That current self-belief that he's got, that's just going to absolutely flow out of him now. Is, is there something good for the rest of us in that, as you describe it, slightly agricultural swing, having a cut at it and things, that you don't have to look like Adam Scott as a as an amateur to, or, you know, it's okay to be an individual golfer and still be able to find some success. Well, I think so. But I, I think one of the lessons that I draw out of it and that probably a lot of people can draw out is that there's probably probably been a tendency over the last, um, well, a couple of decades, I would say, that that we, we kind of mould and graft these really beautiful-looking golfers in Australia. Like really magnificent golf swings, you know, a lot of a lot of technical expertise. You've got some of the best coaches in the world, but guys that you know, you look at their swings and you go, "Wow, that's really beautiful" and, and everything. But you know, the the essence of this game is that it comes down to the score. And that was one of the things I only played a little bit of golf in America professionally when I was playing. But the, the and I, I I would define the difference between you know playing on the Australian tour and in the US along these lines in in Australia, you know, someone would say to you, um, how did you play? In America, they say, what did you score? Because <laughs> how you played was, was, was a real yeah, right. Because all, all that mattered was your score. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you, just, you just basically, no one really cared how you did it. No one really cared whether you <laughs> got a, like Jim Fury. I mean, you've got like Jim Fury, for instance. I mean, if Jim Fury came through the Australian junior ranks, someone would have got a hold of him and said, hey, you can't swing like that. You've, you've got to fix yeah, this yeah. thing up. It's going places bad. You know, you'll never be a great player with that golf swing. Um, that was that's sort of like the you know the, the, the Australian the Australian way. Whereas in, in America, they're just like, well, just go out and do it and shoot a score. And if it means you have to have twenty one putts to to shoot three under par, well, that's all that matters. Right. And uh, so the lesson there, I think, is probably, and I, I think we're seeing a little bit more of it now. But the lesson there is that. You, you know, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, um, you know, Lucas Herbert's certainly an example of that. Because because we do do the, um, we do say, how'd you play? And you go, oh, look, I, I played actually really well. Uh, 28 points, but like I played well. I just, uh, <laughs> so it's a good point. Um, okay, before we get, and he beat Patrick Reed, which was terrific. <laughs> there'd, be a, there'd be a lot of people at the moment celebrating that on its own, I think, yeah. which is unfortunate. For Patrick, but um, you know he's got his he's got his own issues to sort yes. out. Yes, um, along the along the way. Yeah, um, and just b- before we get to the um, the fun stuff, so golf's had this massive resurgence, and I'll ask you. I'm asking you this because you're a commentator and you're a voice of golf, and you know um, a massive resurgence. Five years ago, everyone's haranguing, going, "Oh my god, the game! What are we going to do? We're in it's peril." And so now the rivers of gold are coming in. Uh, more people are playing it than ever before. How are the is the how is our governing body, to your knowledge, preparing for it or protecting it for the future, or are they? Or are we going to get this case where they go, how, you know, how good's golf? <laughs> Let's build more bunkers, and you know, are they are we being smart about it or? <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know. This is going to be interesting because you know they, COVID has kind of served them on a platter. This kind of opportunity that no one imagined was coming along, and, and interestingly, at a time which parallels with the demise of professional golf in this country, whereas you know golf was always seen through the prism of professionalism, and and the only way to promote the game, you know, if you look at back at the history of the last sort of twenty five years, was that you know if professional golf was strong then golf was strong, um, you know, and so therefore there was so much uh, focus and investment in um, tournaments like the Australian Open, Australian Masters, and and that became the focal point for golf here in this country, um, particularly through the summer months. And, you know, it was always important as to who we got to come out and play and, you know, just how, how many sponsors were around. And and and, and right now, I mean, obviously it's, it's COVID-related, but there's, there's basically... You know, there's there's no um, professional tournaments uh, running because they were unable to get uh, 
um, both a really big naming rights sponsor and the sort of players to come in and play that, that naming rights sponsors require in order to put their signature on the dotted line. And so, and, 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 and there's the great, um, the great contrast, if you like, the great conceit of it all is that um, we, we're now seeing you know, people flock, flock yeah. to golf courses in numbers and, and not, not really, I don't think, with any sort of essence of wanting to drive themselves forward to just to, to become great at the game, but just to enjoy it, just to actually have something to do. I mean, if you were, you know, if you were locked in a, in a jail cell and you only had a pack of cards, you'd probably play cards. Um, you know, for most of the day, you know, and, and, yeah, yeah. and golf, golf, yeah, in, in this instance over the last 18 months, golf has become one of those, um, you know, possibilities that, al- that allowed you something outside of, 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 you know, what was being stipulated upon you. So, um, it's, it's really, really interesting, I think, of, of what's what, what will come of this, and and also. Just whether you know it'll be a kind of like a reverse uh, osmosis kind of thing, where whereas you know the the grassroots of golf will will actually um, you know generate a, a, you know an upflow of of money and, and sponsorship into professional golf, you know, which was always seemed to be the other way down. It was trickled yeah. down, and now hoping it's going to be trickle up. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's interesting. So, um, just running your analogy, so golf, the new prison game. I love it. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, whatever, whatever, catch, whatever catch cry they come up with, uh, yeah. you know, around the game, you know, and, and and I mean, you're you're one of how good is golf. I mean, that's actually become that's actually become a, a part of lexicon in a way. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because it's like I, I think that it's about the love of the game, as you say, not how well our blokes are doing overseas and in tournaments. So yeah, fingers crossed we can find a way to, you know, have an Australian open. If the if the best in the world don't come, it's not gonna matter. You know, they'll just have a great tournament and people will turn up to see really good players, you know, become an Australian champion. Yeah, and true. But I, but I think the interesting thing is that is that the, the the growth in golf is not at the, you know, at least to you know, to my understanding at the moment, it's not at the membership level of, of of golf you know it's not about it's not about people you know wanting to you know observe the the rules of golf and to become involved at a club level and all sorts of stuff. they just want to play yeah they just want to play and you know and, and and i think if there's anything that i've heard out of it you know any sort of you know wafting sort of over lying understanding is that people they, people aren't interested in you know, in the stuffiness of it, they don't, they don't want to be told that they have to wear certain clothes or mm. you know, can't. Certain things. They just want to they just want to be outdoors. They just want to play golf. They want to hit a ball. They want to see it go through the air, and and they just want to have fun. You know, and I think if we can we can find a way to keep depicting golf as being fun, yeah, that's that'd be a pretty good place. To yeah, start. maybe it's the cha- maybe it's the, the changing time of it. Um, but I think the memberships are up. I know the, the all the clubs around here, and I'm on the Northern Beaches. Uh, full and waiting lists are back to join. So yeah, it's interesting. All right, Dottie, um, last time you were on was terrific. Um, in fact, I might try and talk to Gavin Kirkman about that and have a proper serious discussion. I think that'd be good. Um, you said uh, you baited me like a, and I was like a, an old flathead with a thing going past. You said, I've got some fantastic cheating stories. And I, and that, and that is one of the things, isn't it? That, you know, when people do come to golf, some people don't know that they're cheating. They just don't know what the rules are. And some people are well aware of, you know, there's there's definitely people in probably every club who have got a stray foot or a... But, I mean, you've played at the highest level. You've played all over the world. You've had success all over the world um, of varying degrees. So, you know, when you know you've won in Europe, uh, didn't win in America, had good, good, good success here. Uh, you've come across people who find the best way to get the best number on the card, haven't you? Well, the reason I brought it up with you is I thought it's one of those things that never gets discussed. It's so taboo. There's such a stigma associated with the whole idea of cheating. And, you know, and, and as you said, every club has somebody you know, at a, at a you know, amateur level who they go, well, you've got to watch him. You know, he's got the little, the little leather, <laughs> the leather four iron. Yeah. And, 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 and the, um, 
the the but the but at a professional level, I mean, you know, ever since I've been involved in professional golf, there's there was always guys that people go, oh, you got to watch him, you know. And but at a professional level, it's actually so frowned upon and so looked down upon. But but um, the corollary of that is it's it's very very difficult to prove. I mean, there's, there are guys who have been renowned as as being chased. I mean, there are you know, we we know you know it's still sort of whispered about you know guys at the moment you know like uh, players in, that we we know well um on the u.s tour who've had you know constant you know uh, suggestions about rules and fractions and and yet it just sort of like it it it, it doesn't go away but nothing's ever done about it because it's so difficult to prove like you're yeah. trying to prove intent trying to prove intent on someone and particularly you know if it's the if it's a golfer in a group um reporting someone else then nearly always it's the messenger who gets shot yeah and uh that's why the whole cheating thing it's just sort of it just sort of you know it sort of wafts around in the ether um and they're just stories that gets told between between you know like other touring pros telling stories about you know some of the greatest well, cheats they've ever seen yeah see, it's, in, mm-hmm. it's interesting even listening to you talk about you know talking in a really obtuse an obscure, almost obscure way about people now is that you still can't see, even you can't even say cleanly what what you're alluding to. There's rumours and stories of like, because, and and there's legal implications and everything. So. Well, for sure. And, and, you know, you, you go and Google cheating in professional golf and there's all sorts of stories, even, even as far down as major championships. You know, there, there, there's, there, there are aspersions out there about, you know, a couple of major championships that were, were won, you know, supposedly by nefarious means. And, um, you know, but they, they've never been proven. It can't be, you know, like the, there's been investigations into it, you know, like people, journalists going along and, and talking to the caddies of these guys, you know, like decades after trying to get a, a, a definitive response and it just, Never ever really goes anywhere. But, but that's, um, it, you don't you don't mean the thing like the with the crowd standing there and and you know shouldering up to a ball and making sure the ball bounces back onto the fairway or the or the. I don't mean that at all. I don't mean that at all. I mean I mean you know play, you know there's a suggestion of of you know players actually doing serious impropriety on the golf course. You know so I mean and, and the, my example of it was I played in a, a national open in. Um, in Europe, um, back in the early 2000s, and um, we we teed off, and um, I was playing with a with an English guy, and I was playing with another guy, an, an Aussie actually, and um, and he hurt his wrist on the second hole and had to pull out. So it's just a two ball, and it was first round. It wasn't. It was hardly any spectators around. It was very. It was in uh, sort of um, middle central Europe somewhere. And um, and I was having I was having an amazing day, um, and I got to and the other guy I was playing with was having a terrible day. He was like he was like three over after fifteen, and I was six under. And and there was this one hole was a dog leg and and a slight dog leg, and there was really the thickest rough on the golf course is up the right hand side, and he was sort of losing his losing it and just sort of you know not really paying much attention, and and, and he hit this big carve right way 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 into this grass and it was it was waist high thick i knew it was terrible and i said i said to him i said mate you better hit another one we won't find that and he goes ah no i've had enough of this and he walks off right <laughs> so i get i hit mine down the fairway i and it was it was a fairway that was flat and then there was like a it was like a 10 meters of of closely mown grass leading up to this grass, and probably an incline about 30 degrees and then the really deep hay. So we're up in this deep hay. We've got no chance of finding this ball. And I'm just, I'm just, I can't even see my feet in it, right? And the ball's way, way into it. And it gets to five minutes and I go, mate, you better go back to the tee. So I walk back down to my ball and he, and I hear this voice, I've found it. And I go, oh, isn't that great? And I turn around and the ball is a ball lying on the short cut grass where I can see it from the fairway, right? I can see it from the fairway. I don't need to walk up and, and find it. I wouldn't need to go searching for it. There's this ball sitting there on, on the shortcut grass. And and it was 
it was like that moment I mentioned where you, you know, you're in a, a trench in World War One. You come around the corner and you face someone. You're both unarmed, yeah. right? And you, <laughs> and, you, and you stand there looking at each other. Right? It was like, like I, I, I didn't know what to say. He, he didn't know what to say, and, and I'm just we're just staring at each other. And, and I've I, and I walk back to my ball, and, I, and I'm, I'm hyperventilating. Right? This, this guy's just dropped the ball out of his pocket, like on the on the short grass. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can see it from the. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 20 meters away in the middle of the fairway. I can see his ball. I didn't need to walk up into the hay to look for it. Mm. And I'm just seeing, and, and like literally, blood drained from my face, right? Because because only a two ball, and there's no spectators around, so it's just me and him, right? There's no there's there's no one else there's no one else there, and. Um, and and I just I just remember thinking I hit my ball on the green and now I'm in complete and utter turmoil right and and I get to the green and I putt out and I walk into the next tee and and he comes up to me and he says oh mate uh, where where in Australia do you live and I said I said mate you asked me that on the first hole <laughs> and and I walked to the next one right anyway I, I end up shooting seven under. And he signed in for like three over, but I, I, I got to the scorer's desk and I go, I can't sign his card. I, I don't think I can sign this guy's card, right? Because yeah. hang on, is this the, he's an Australian? Is this the Australian or the other? No, no, it's in England. Yeah, English right. Guy. He's English a geezer. Guy. And I, but I'm going. I can't. I can't sign his. I don't think I can sign his card. But then I think, well, what do I do? Yeah, you know, who? It's my word against his. Blah 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 blah. So I signed his card and I went out and, and called a rules official. I said, I said, I just saw the most blatant bit of cheating I've ever seen in my life. But unless we can go and find the ball that this guy's lost, um, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. And and, and I, I just don't. I don't want to get. I'm like coming. I was either leading or coming second in the tournament. You know, like a. You know, it was an important event for for me and and mm. my year and and and. You know, it was just it was just a no-win situation. So the guy, um, David Williams, the um the European tour referee, he went up and drove up around in the rough and tried I said, look, look for a ball with a green and a red a red marking on it. Um, because you know, it's it's in there somewhere. And if if you can find it, then you know, you'll I'll be able to know this guy, this guy, you know, can be disqualified. But he couldn't find it. Came back and said, I said, look, mate, I don't know what to do. What do I do? You know, I, I can't do anything about it. And anyway, so he said, look, you know, here's what it is, unfortunately. So anyway, turn up the next day and I'm seething, absolutely seething at this bloke because, like, you know, he's just straight up cheated. So hey, and, you've got to, and you've got to play with him again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First two Round days, two. Just, just me, and him, me and him in a two ball, <laughs> right? And so, and so I shot, I was seething all day, shot one over, and he was happy as Larry shot three under and made the cut, you know, like, and I, I just sort of thought, Wow, it was it was just it was one of those moments where I thought, yeah, one day I've got to write a story about this because it was just, um, you know, you, it's just one of those things I've never forgotten, and, and you know, and you never ever imagine you're going to be, you know, the, the guy who's who's the actual witness to so, it who has to. So, I, I suppose that you know, from a pragmatic point of view, what, like, why do you care? I mean, in in terms of because it's clearly it's clearly affected your experience and your potential to play because it's a mental game anyway. And, you know, so th that would be the other part of the question is like, why do you care? Why would one just go, Oh, well, he's a dickhead and on you go. Well, the duty of care to, to everybody in the field, I think let's not forget, you know, at a, at a club comp, you're playing for, you know, saucepans and hot dogs. You are not, you're and, playing, uh, you're playing for a voucher grant and you need to <laughs> guys like you. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing for pro shop wealth. Yeah, well, you are you are playing for voucher, but you know the symbolically, you you you. It's Tupperware. You yeah. Go home and you're gonna you're gonna earn a quid in your real job. Um, everyone out there is you know trying their their asses off to actually make a living playing pro golf, and and you know the understanding that someone out there who's who's cheating you and taking money out of someone else's pocket and potentially costing them. You know, when you, when you think about it at the end of the year, you know, the fine line between sometimes some guys keeping your card, not keeping your card, you know, it can come down to a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars here and there. And, um, you know, there's a there's a duty upon everyone at a professional level to make sure that it's a level playing field. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, the, 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 the thought that, and it's so rare that, you know, that, and it's, 
there's such a stigma attached to it that no one ever accuses anyone of being a cheat unless there's, you know, unless there's smoke and, and fire. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so as soon as someone, as soon as people start talking about someone as being a cheat on tour, um, you absolutely know that there's something bad going on because it's so, it, 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 those accusations never, ever get levelled at someone who's on the straight and narrow. Yeah. What so, about the... Uh, what, what about pushing the rules to the nth degree? Like, so we so we see that all the time, you know, watching golf tournaments. I still remember um, Mickelson once in a bush, like in a bush, and he found a sprinkler head in, in the bush and he goes, and it was, and there's a rules official there and it takes an hour and, it's, and they go, yeah, okay, yeah, relief from that. And um, so the spirit of the game versus the rules of the game, is that is that something that the pros consider and, and discuss and talk about or? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's there's certainly um, you know there's certainly an opportunity there to to use the rules to your advantage. Um, it was it was a great story actually about about Seve Ballesteros when you know when when Seve the great man was still was still alive and and um, but you know he he was such a wizard such a genius on the golf course that. Um, but he, you know, he got really wild towards those last few years. You know, he's, he's early to late thirties. He was all over the shop with the driver, but, but, you know, he would, you know, on the European tour, he'd, he'd hit it in the, in the jungle and then it'd be there like, you know, horrible live, but there'd be a, a light, you know, there'd be a, a television tower, you know, 200 yards up in front or, you know, and he'd call right. and say, I want relief in that tower. And, um, you know, and, and the real officials, you know, him being, you know, Seve Ballesteros, you know, firstly, who are they to say he can't hit that shot because he's, yeah. he's a genius and he's Seve Ballesteros, you know, so there was this sort of inclination of understanding that, you know, that Seve was getting more, you know, preferable rulings than others. And there's a great story about, you know, and it might have been augmented over time, but he was playing with uh, Tony Johnson, the Zimbabwean guy. And um, they're playing somewhere in, in Europe, I think maybe Kran or, or whatever, and they've hit their, their second shots to this green. And um, and they get down there and there's a tree behind the green and, and there's, there's a ball really tied up against the tree. And there's another one about, you know, four or five feet away. And um, Tony Johnson walks up the ball against the tree and he goes, he says, Sivy, come over here. I, I, I want to get the relief. I want to get the relief from this from this um, shot. And he, there's a sprinkler head there. So he says, Sylvia, I want to put my foot on the sprinkler head here, and I'm going to play this shot backwards. I'm going to play this shot backwards like this. And um, and he says, No, 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 no. You you, you cannot, Tony. You cannot. It's you know it is um, you know it is it is not not relief. And he says, Well, Sylvia, what would it be if I if I was to play it left-handed, <laughs> my foot over here, and play it backwards, left-handed? And uh, and Sevi says, says, Tony, Tony, you know, you, you, it is not, it's not, it's not the way to play the game. He says, he says, good Sevi, because that's your ball and your fault. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, there's been, um, yeah, there, there, there are always little, little stories. Actually, say she, yeah, perhaps she used the, the rules to their advantage, and um, but yeah. Great man was proud of that as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But you said earlier, you know, you alluded to a couple of majors where there's been a suggestion that there've been one. In an unto- to see, even I'm doing it. It's ridiculous, right? I've got nothing to lose here. One in an untoward fashion. I'm not asking who the golfers were, but do you know what the what actually happened? 
or what what the suggestion is of what happened? Well, it's a, it was a British Open, um, and there was you know it's it's yeah it's part of the folklore of, of the of the game, but it was a British Open, and it was coming down the last few holes, and there was a suggestion. So that, was it? Sorry, was it uh, the modern era in a long time ago? No. Talking, we're talking, I think we're probably talking 40, 40 years ago. 40 okay, no years ago, um, That a ball, that a ball was uh, was dropped. That a ball, that a, a ball was suddenly uh, appeared for a, a ball that may have been lost. So um, it's out there. You can Google it. You can, you can find out. You can <laughs> search on it. Um, oh, so when, when they dropped the ball and then they found the real ball or something? No, I don't believe the real ball was found or the. the that the ball was perhaps moved or um yeah it's um but it's it is a yeah there was a there was a you know a couple of journalists that tried to that tried to dig deeper into it you know well after the fact to try to um come up with some sort of definitive understanding of it but yeah it's um it's nothing nothing concrete has ever been proved Okay, so with you, with the pro golfers, when someone does call a penalty on themselves, or say when Rory took that drop, so in the famous Patrick Reed one where he said his ball was embedded, and there was a ball mark there, whatevs, you know, God knows what happened there. And then Rory had a similar situation, but when he took his drop, he dropped it deep into the Mugabe. When someone acts that way, with a high moral ground, how does the rest of the field feel about that? Or is that is that considered the normal response or the expected response? Yeah, look, uh, you know, professional golf is a very individual sport. You know, there was there was a there was a great great old saying when I first came on tour that you know that when you if you were prone to giving postmortems about your round of golf, it was always important to remember that ninety five percent of guys you were telling to didn't care. And the other five was they wished you had more, <laughs> you know. And so, um, you know, so it's a it's a it's a very individualistic sport. It's um, you know, I think that it really does. It comes down to you know your own conscience, your own capacity to be able to live with yourself and what you've done. And you know, and if you've, you know, and some guys, you know, have have less of that um, quality than others. Um, I think. Look, I think that, you know, at, at that very elite level, Andrew, you know, the, there's there's always referees and, you know, rules officials around to give you a ruling. Like, it's not, you, you're never so much trying to push the rules yourself, you know, other than, because eventually, if you ask your marker that you want to do this and they go, oh, I don't agree with that, then you call a rules official mm. and you say, well, this, this is what I see, this is what I want to do. And and if they actually give you the permission to do it, then it's it's black and white. You know, it's so you, you it is, and that's the thing. Like if you, you know, when this on the PJ tour where there's you know where there's a rules official every two holes, um, there's less there's less possibility, except on those instances where television catches somebody, you know, doing something um, dubious or dodgy, as as has happened with with Patrick Reed on a, a number of occasions. Um, and you know, therefore, you know, you're, you then become judged in the court of public opinion rather than necessarily by your peers. And, and your peers will obviously have a have an opinion on it anyway. Um, and and you know that that may have had something to do with the, the reasons why Patrick Reading get picked in the Ryder Cup this year. Yeah, right. You know, like I mean, he was Captain America last last few years, and yeah, but you know they're. It may have been enough of us. I mean, you know, I don't know exactly why, but you you would have thought that, given his record um, and playing on home soil, that he would have been um, someone who would have been fairly high in the minds of, you know, of most of the the, the people potentially picking that team. And it did seem like a decision that you know you know may have may have happened as a as you know a let's say a consensus. A consensus idea rather than something based purely upon uh, performance. Okay. What so? What about for the amateur golfer when you're playing? And is it so for you guys for the pros? It's a rules official generally makes the assessment and says, okay, this is what's passable. So, what's the best way for an amateur to deal with uh, two things? One is 
having a situation and seeing it a certain way, do they just count on their on their marker to go, yeah, that's fine or that's not fine? Um, know the rules. Yeah, you got to know the rules. You know that that's the that's the only real way. And, and uh, unfortunately, and they have tried to obviously simplify the rules a little bit over the last couple of years by you know taking out all those issues about different coloured hazards and uh, not calling hazards anymore, you know, penalty areas and trying to take away um, a little bit of the, of the mystique surrounding it. But, you know, the, 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 the golf rule book is, you know, it looks like a, a yeah. encyclopedia. Um, it, it's, it's massive. Um, but, you know, but if you, if you take, you know, a little bit of time to read the rules and to, and to understand them, that gives you the strongest position from which to proceed on. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than getting pissed off with, with somebody in your group who's clearly, um, you know, cheating the rules, you can just go, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. Because this, because well, I know it. It's funny. Um, so- <laughs> Cam and I were having a game. We get to the 18th hole at, well, we played Long Reef and the clubhouse is right there. You know, so there's guys sitting in the thing, having a beer, and we're having a, a ruling as to where he gets to drop his ball off the path at the back of the ninth hole, which is next yeah. to the eight, whatever. And so we go, okay, you've got to drop it here, and then you get relief from that, and then you do whatever. So we play the thing, and he's he's actually done very well. We go inside, and there's a couple of full blown older rules Nazis sitting there and going, so what was your ruling, mate? I said, oh well, he he. <laughs> He got really, he got relief from the path, uh, and then he, there was the you know two clubs thing, and they go no mate, there is no two clubs. He gets relief from the path. He drops into the shit. He takes a you know a, another drop that cost him a shot. He had a seven. We just went on and was, <laughs> and was and, and, but the thing was that we didn't. It was one of those things we we weren't sure. We didn't. We actually did what we truly believed was the right thing to do. Yeah. He may well have won the Monday comp that day, <laughs> and then you, and then you and then you have that thing of well, what do you like, like you know, what do you do? Like where where do you go? So it's it's an I mean, know the rules is is interesting, um, and applying them as best you know them is is another thing. Yeah, and and also just counting your counting your shots. I mean, yeah. really, when we're talking when we're talking about the you know about the at an amateur level. Um, you know, the, it's not so much about purely flouting the rules. It's actually just, you know, not fudging your ball on the green, not lifting your ball into a better lie and in counting all your shots. I mean, they're probably the three main rules infractions, so to speak, that, you know, that, uh, that tend to tend to give people the most uh, yeah. trouble. A six, really? A six? Did you count the one? Did you count the gimme that you took? <laughs> um and Dottie, so what about how's your golf now? Are you playing at all or how's your back? Yeah. You... Mate, look, I've I've just I haven't played a lot this year, to be honest. I just got um I, I just got caught up. I've got a I've got a business, I think I mentioned last time, called Gymnastics Direct, which is really going well. It's been really busy during the pandemic. Um it's sort of swallowed me up a bit. I've got, you know, five employees now and um, and that's, you know, it's, it's been growing really strongly. So that's sort of taken up a bit of my attention. Yeah. Um, I really want to get out there a bit more because, um, you know, I love the game. Um, but I've just found myself a bit sort of swallowed by life um, a bit. But I'm planning on over, over summer getting out and playing because I'm still a member at uh, New South Wales Golf Club in Sydney. Um, love getting down there whenever I can. And I'm and I'm also a member of Golf Digest Top 100 um, yeah. ranking, and you know, and and I, I want to get out and have a look at some of the new courses that have come up, and you know, have a get a feel for what they're like, and you know, just get out into the air again. And you know, my son, my 15 year old son, start, starting to show a bit of interest in the game as well. Yeah, and um, you know, taking him out out there on, on the course seems like a pretty fun thing to do too. So. Have, you, have you said to him, you know, your, 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 your dad wasn't terribly good when he was your age, but uh, <laughs> I certainly made up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think if anything, I mean, I didn't really start playing until I was 18. Yeah, I know. And, and um, yeah, but I, I think if anything, you know, and it's one of the hardest things to teach kids. I mean, you're a dad as well, you know, but just how much, you know, 
how much work you have to put in to get proficient at anything, you know, not, not just sport, but, you know, like it, it just requires, you know, a, a huge amount of dedication and effort and, and, and this desire to, to get better all the time to actually be really good at something. And I think I, I see a lot of kids sort of have a bit of trouble with that these days, that sort of that understanding of what level of dedication is actually needed. Um, and, but, you know, if you, if you get the bug for something like, you get for golf, like I got for golf, then, you know, there was no, there wasn't enough hours in the day to think about, you know, about golf or where the golf course was or, yeah. you know, you wanted to do. And so if, if you find that, that essence within yourself, that drive, that desire to get great at it, then, you know, you'll, you'll find a way to get good at it. I, I think so. It's, it's up to him. Oh, I'm certainly not going to be a pushy, a pushy golf dad. You, know, um, you say that now. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll Back see. in Lithuania. Let me t- did I tell you about Lithuania. <laughs> hey, um, so the summer of so we're gonna have an Australian Open next year. Yeah. Is that the that's the is that they're now confirmed? If they've, they've guaranteed it? I uh, there's no guarantees at the moment, I don't think. I think the, the biggest issue is actually just um you know making sure that the borders are open. Um, you know that able to get um, in. No, no, no player was going to come in this year and, and you know, quarantine to play in a you know a 1.5 million Australian dollar Australian. Yeah, home. yeah, it's so, amazing. Um, and without being able, yeah, and without being able to to get players in, they weren't able to to lock in um, you know the right sort of naming right sponsor. Um, okay. But I think by the end of next, we'll be fine. And I think we'll you know I think we'll be we'll be good. And, and I you know. We've already alluded to the fact of just how how much um, interest in the, in the game has grown over the last sort of eighteen months, and, and I can imagine that the Australian Open in two thousand twenty two will be a serious event. Like there'll be you know there'll be scalpers out scalping tickets out yeah. the front. To get so, in. so 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 to that end, and this is back to where we've said to do the full circle. Is there a, is there a chance that what we could see is a one and a half million dollar Australian Open full of really good players with huge um, crowds of people just wanting to see golf again as opposed to everyone shitting their pants at a corporate level going well if we haven't got this and this and this this is not a viable option um yeah look I, I think there'll be there'll be an Australian Open you know regardless I mean the, the we, I mean, we couldn't even get the, you know, the Australian market players to come back yeah. and play because most of the... But that's always American, a struggle, isn't it? Not well, what's often a struggle. A lot of guys will come back. I mean, the, the really big name guys, you know, have a have a, an issue with, you know, if they're, say, ranked 15 in the world and someone who's ranked 50th in the world is getting paid $200,000 to come and they're not, then they're going, well, hang on, that's, you know, quid pro quo, please. Um, so yeah, that's always been a little bit of a sticking point because, you know, the, there's an ex, there's an expectation on a lot of those Aussie guys that they'll just come and play anyway and, you know, not get, um, their just desserts. So, yeah. um, so, you know, as long as most of those guys can come back and play, there'll be, there'll be an Australian open for, for sure. And, and you know it'll be augmented with a couple of names here or there, but the, I think the hunger from a public perspective to watch some great championship golf again will be so great that yeah. you know I, I don't you know I don't think that it'll it'll necessarily you know be the all time greatest field we, we've ever had. Um, I don't you know I don't but it could be the all time greatest tournament, and that's the whole thing. It could, it could be like it could be it, it literally you know you can imagine there being twenty. You know, twenty-five thousand people out there. You know, depending upon the capacity of the course to hold it. You know, the, you can you can already feel there'll be a sense of anticipation and you know a heightened um, sense that there's something really to really look forward to, and um, and that'll be great. You know, because I mean, if you think about those that that sense of what golf was like in the late '80s, you know, like yeah. from say '85 through to '90 when Norman was coming back, and you know, like. They used to cover golf on the radio back then, you know, because yeah. like, and Norm, every shot that Norman hit was covered from, you know, first hole to the last yeah. hole. And, and, that, and, that, and they, and they had the, um, 
the periscopes. Remember they had the mirror things because the crowds were so deep. You needed the proper parrot, you know, like the mirror mirror periscopes to be able to see through the crowd to see what was going on. It was it was amazing. Yeah, you remember, you remember that, that that Masters duel between, I think it might have been 88 or 89 between Faldo and Norman at, at the Australian Masters. You know, I remember, you know, just, you know, they, clearly they weren't, they weren't friends. They, you know, yeah, yeah. There, there was was this sense that they both really wanted to beat each other really badly and their their crowds were like six and seven deep around yeah. every hole, you know, and, and you, you sat there glued to the television because, you know, you were just, you know, you were just in the in the, the midst of greatness and this great mano a mano battle and, you know, I mean, how we, all right, if we're ever able to sort of recreate that, that, that sense of of drama ever again, you know, and, and that that uh, competitive spirit between two um, protagonists like that, I, I don't know, but um, it'll be it'll be great, and you know, we all that's what we want. That's what we're all looking forward to. And just just to finish, Grant, as you're commentating, who who decides who gets the line after the final putt is dropped? And if it's you, do you spend time during the day preparing the words that come out of your mouth? You know, like the final goal or uh, what's his face? The the West Australian commentator. Um, during, De- De- no, no, not De- no, not Dennis, the other one. Basil Zemplis, the mayor of Perth. And when... Um, when someone won the Olympic gold, he goes to be a champion. You must beat a champion. I'm like, oh, for, you know, <laughs> he's, he's written it down three days before. You know, he's Googled it. He's, you know, do you, yeah. is it? Do you pre-write the big lines? It, it, I mean, depending upon the the individual, um, and 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 let's not forget that nearly every great line has already been used in sport commentary. Like, they're, yeah, they're yeah, okay. You know, you, you think about, you know, Bruce McAvaney when Kathy Freeman won in 2000, you, you, you know, I always remember remember that um, epitaph, that race, and, you know, one of the greatest, you know, sporting moments in Australian history. Um, you know, and, and I mentioned... Oh, hang on, what did he say? So, I can't remember. Um, oh, sorry, I've lost it. I, I, <laughs> I, had it, but I just lost it. It'll, 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 it'll come to me. It'll come, yeah. Um, about a moment. Um Anyway, um, yeah, but, but you know, Dennis Cometti, um, I mentioned him because he was one of, you know, he was the master of the great one liner. You know, he, he, he banked them, he had them all banked up, ready to go, you know, yeah. for, for the moment. And um, yeah, but look, you, you know, if you, depending upon the person involved, depending upon, um, you know, where, where they're at in their career what they've achieved, it, you know, it, it may be a, a complete breakthrough moment for them. And that's the thing that you want to emphasize. Um, you just, you just got to be prepared for, for all eventualities. And, you know, and if it's your moment in the sun and you, and you've got the line, it doesn't sound too corny and, yeah. you know, the, it, 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 it has to, it has to enhance the moment rather yeah. than yeah enhance the, the viewer experience rather than being yeah. about you. Yeah, than you know you showing just how clever you are. Yeah, you don't want to sort of drop the line and have everyone look at you and go, oh, having a beer afterwards, you go, nice one, Dotty. <laughs> you can never take it back. You know, that's, no, that's, the one that's a good point. You know, especially these days, is that you know, if if you if you really stuff up, um, it's out there forever. Yeah. And, um, or if you, you really know, do a great job, it's out there forever. So actually, they're both they're both relevant and real. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, you certainly like to be remembered for, for greatness rather than the the opposite. Yeah. Oh, there goes Grant. Yes, and he holds it. <laughs> hey, Dotty. Um, thanks very much for your time. If we want to talk to you, you're at Gymnastics Direct. Gymnastics Direct. So if you want to get a hold of Dotty and bust his ear about something, just call. <laughs> You know, you might get yourself a, 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 a some rings uh, or a horse, a pommel horse, or anything. Really appreciate uh, your time. Mainly, mainly gymnastics mats and and, and padding and um, things like that. You know, the the, the primary um, stuff that I sell. But yeah, I sell to you know schools all around the country now. I've got about eight hundred uh, schools as clients, and um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of hard work, but it's turned into a really great business. It's great. And you have a little corner there in the warehouse where you whack balls into one of your mats and like a, a, a mat testing, I've uh, got special mat testing in here. <laughs> Not yet, but it's, um, it's, it's definitely a possibility uh, All right. getting a little indoor setup. Yeah, it's good. Hey, Dottie, thanks very much for your time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Good on you, buddy. Take it easy. The Dottinator, Grant Dodds. Terrific. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed that. As always happens, uh, press end on the recording, and he goes, oh, mate, I didn't get to tell you my, my best cheating story about this English bloke I played with in Asia, oh my, I went, oh, do you want to tell it now? He goes, oh, we'll save it for another day. So I hope you enjoyed that. He's um, he's terrific. I have no idea where we're going next week, uh, but it'll be somewhere. It'll be interesting. There's a rumour it could be Bob Charles, Sir Bob Charles, New Zealand's greatest ever. My fingers are most definitely crossed for that. Thanks for listening. And I'll leave you with the closing stages of the 2000 Olympics, 400 metres, Kathy Freeman, and the great Bruce McAvaney uh, calling the action. You will, you will remember this. Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.